Well, good morning. It is uh, wonderful to be here. Uh, yeah, again, my name's Chris. Yeah, glorified intern is how I would put it, and really cheap labor probably is more accurate uh, how that works out. But so my goal is to plant a church in a little rural community. So it's got about 1,601, and then there's another village close by, and it's got like 750, and it makes up one school system. And so if you think of uh, where you're at, at uh, Anago, am I pronouncing it right? Not Antigo, right? Anago. And if, then you drive 15 minutes away, and then another 15 minutes, and then you've just got two little villages with a school system. And so that's kind of the context. And uh, I love that area. It's where I graduated high school from. So that's what's turned my eyes there. But coming out here, y'all got it good. It is beautiful in the lakes. And uh, so I've just, I've loved my time here. And the pastor said, yeah, go hang out with Tom and make it weird for him. So I, I hope I've uh, succeeded. And so I've got a, also a picture of my family. So that's my wife, Miranda. We've been married seven and a half years. That's my tender boy, Peter. He's five. And then uh, somehow we can't get both of our kids to look at the camera at the same time. So the other one where they did, it was just a weird picture. So I didn't choose it. But that's Lily. She's uh, 19 months old. And she's just a doll, and she's a wild girl. And then, actually, I was tearing up. I love uh, the song, uh, Hold Me Fast. That's, uh, we actually just had a miscarriage, and so about halfway through the pregnancy. And that, is, that song was kind of the grace from God that held us together. And so it just reminds me of what God has done in our lives, the grace that he has poured out upon us in every single way, uh, and so I'm thankful for that. But that is my family. I do miss them dearly. I'm thankful for video chats and Facebook and all of that. But today we come to the text. We're in 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. And if you remember the sermon last week, or if maybe you missed it, Pastor Tom went through uh, Paul's love and reason for writing this letter to the Corinthians. You could hear the love Paul has for them, the sorrow he has that he can't come, but the regards and the love that he sends their way. And I think that that text and where we are going today flows well together when we talk about Paul's love and desire for the church that he planted, and then he moves straight into this text about forgiveness. I think that's a good one-two punch. Forgiveness is a tough thing. Uh, topic to discuss, so it's good to lead with some love. And He reminds the Corinthians that his, he has this unwavering, undying love, that he sends his best people, that he tries to visit whenever he can, and that he, he just poured all of himself out. And then he moves into this passage of forgiveness and reconciliation. He reminds us of, of what one commentator said, I really like the agenda of the gospel what the gospel and the purpose of the gospel is meant to do, to forgive, but don't stop, forgive and go further with the love of Christ. And so with that, if you turn to the text, 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11, and read along with me. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, 
not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Would you pray with me? Father, what grace you have given us this week in all the many ways that we sin and we turn our eyes to you you are there an unlimited amount turning us back if we could just preach one last sermon I think it would just be that your grace is sufficient for everything for everything and all in our lives grace is sufficient for leading us to forgiveness sufficient for our marriages and our relationships, the difficulties in our work, difficulties at home. There's nothing else that is comforting like your grace and the truth of your gospel. Open our hearts today for this message. Let it lead us into this next week in truth of your word. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. So when you're looking at this text, it's important to know that uh, he's dealing with a man who is creating and stirring up troubles in the church that he planted. Of course, maybe you remember last week, or if you've gone from 1 Corinthians, Paul comes to Corinth, and if maybe this helps you with seeing into the heart of your pastor. He moves to Corinth, he spends years in Corinth, He loves them. He spreads the gospel. He does everything that he can to gather a community around each other. And then a man starts destroying the credibility of Paul in the eyes of the church, saying things like he's not an apostle. He's using the church for his own personal gains, and he's turning the ear and the eye of the Corinthian people away from Paul. And you can almost hear, you could possibly think of what Paul would Uh, be thinking as he's processing this. He must be heartbroken. He must be angry. You could hear him uh, say, like, how could someone stir this up? Why would they? Don't they know how much I've sacrificed for them to show them my love? I don't need anything from them. But what Paul writes here is nothing along those lines. It's nothing along those thoughts. And I, I think we should all be reminded of the mission of the gospel, of the agenda of the gospel, because the gospel doesn't end on the heels of one's salvation. You don't get saved at 8 o'clock one day, and then you're just good and you're done, and the gospel no longer applies to your life. The gospel nurtures our relationships. It convicts us when we're heading towards sin in order to protect you, and also the source of healing from pain and sin of others. That's what the text is coming from. That's who he's talking about. And so generally when I structure a sermon, I've only done them like 16 times, so I generally stick, stick to the structure, give a three-point sermon, 
And that way, you know, when you're done, when you get to point three, you're about out the door, right? So point one, a warning to believers today. I've been wrestling with this text, and Tom referenced that. I Pretty much Saturday, I still was like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know where I'll go. I'm Xing things out. And then this, I was praying, and this, I think, God brought to, to the surface for me is sin still exists in our lives, right? And that we need to be warned. We need to have it brought in front of us so that we can see forward-looking the consequences of our sin, Sin is everywhere, right? We don't escape it. It's all-encompassing. It's like a, a blanket that is just laid over top of us, right? We, it seems like we can't escape. And Of course, if we know just of the doctrine and theology of sin, we're, we're born into it. It's from the very beginning. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceives me. It starts from birth. There's no... Uh, first sin that now you're in trouble. It just, it's because of the fall of Adam. It's what you're born into. Ephesians 2, 3, among whom all we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath. By nature. It's, it's almost as if you're going out into the woods and uh, you have a deer and a little baby deer and the mother was only going to give birth to the deer. There was no other animal coming, right? In the same way that humans are only giving birth to humans in sin nature. We're trapped, and it's only from the truth of the gospel that we're able to escape it. We're now able to choose not to sin. We're not, we know that we're redeemed and we're re- rescued, and we're stuck in this eternal, beautifully stuck in this eternal destiny of relationship with the Father, sealed by the Holy Spirit. We know this. But after salvation, we go on sinning, right? We've all felt the effect of it. We've all put it out there of our, on our own volition. We sin, we feel sin, and we catch ourselves praying, or maybe it's just me thinking, oh God, take the sin from me repeatedly and we keep going back to that same prayer and we want to be rid of it and and then we think it's gone and a month later it rears those ugly head and it's back and you pray the same prayer again this is something i believe that like all of our churches can be brought back to the sin is not always private okay this is where i think this is driving Sin is not something that stays to ourselves. It inevitably bleeds into the relationships around us. And that's where Paul brings us today, under the surface. It's a beautiful passage about forgiving one who has sinned and repented uh, underneath the surface. That's something that Paul is giving to us. Again, a warning to where sin will take us. Here in the context, it's someone who's spread false news about Paul and his intentions. They've clearly sinned against Paul. And Paul clearly says that that person sinned against the church as well. So read read verse 5 with me again. Now if anyone has caused pain, and he has, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, because he says that because it is severe, right? He's, He's softening the blow. In some measure to all of you, 
I think there's a truth here that untamed sin does not stay close by and contained. Right? It's got this cancerous effect. The warning here is to stop sinning and be actively on guards in our, in our life. As I was thinking of this, I was, if you uh, watch the news or you're reading the news in some platform and you've probably heard of all these fires in California, and there are other fires too. I mean, there's fires in Texas that CNN and Fox isn't going to talk about, but specifically the fire that comes to mind is the El Dorado Park fires. And it was a couple who was doing this very cute gender reveal party, and usually they're quite tame. We did one where you just pull this little thing and the pink stuff comes out and it's like, oh, a girl. But this couple was extremely excited apparently and they get this super intricate smoke machine. They take it out into the middle of the extremely dry woods. They set it off, it spits out uh, sparks and lights a forest fire. And that cute little party, you know, turned into 14,000 acres of uh, fire damage, homes being burned. And even today, I think two and a half months into it, it's about 37% contained. Contained. They just stopped it, 37% of it. You know, and everything it comes to, it, it just burns. If it's a wet log, it's gone. If it's a healthy, thriving tree, it's gone. If it's someone's home, it doesn't matter how much they douse with water, it's gone. It takes tons of water planes, tons and tons of water. Firefighters, takes millions of dollars to contain it, just to contain. But they had all the warnings, right? You see the Smokey the Bear commercials. You see the signs going into the park. You see the warning on the machine that it could start a fire, yet they didn't heed. And so you're almost wondering, you're just watching TV, like, why didn't they listen? They were warned everywhere. They knew that this could happen, and they just disregarded it. I think that's what Paul and the Spirit is doing for us in this text here. They're giving us the warning of what will happen if our sin is untamed. It becomes unleashed and it will scorch through a church and it'll take massive efforts to bring it back and to bring healing. If we don't kill the sin, it will spread. So I think this is my warning. It's my warning to me my warning to you. Whatever sin you have, if you don't kill it, it will not stay contained. I think we think like we're going out for a campfire and you find the cute little rocks that you put around the fire and you build the perfect teepee structure and the fire is like a picture but next to the cabin, what you'd put on the, the wall and that's what we're looking at. But our sin is actually the forest fire behind us that we're trying to ignore. We just don't have the category to put it in to, to think about this. So I put this one first because it's me. Those of us who are critical, that's sin number one for me. For those who have a critical heart and a critical nature, kill it. The critical nature will destroy the will and the heart of everyone around you and it will bleed into the church and tear people down. Those of you with lusts and lustfulness Kill it because that lust will seep into the church and, and an affair will happen and it will divide and kill the church. Those of you who struggle with, struggle with gossiping, your gossiping will sneak in just like what has happened here with Paul 
and destroy relationships and cut it off at the root and it'll make difficult to, to bring back. Kill it before it kills the church. That is my warning to you from this text. Thankfully, God doesn't leave us there, right? With some sort of legalism, you must do this or must not do this. He also gives us the answer from here for, for what we are to do when this sin inevitably bleeds into the body. It's going to come, right? We've all been Christians long enough. If you've been a Christian a few days, you're going to feel the pain of sin. So it brings me to my second point, the command to forgive. Now, it's not very elaborate, but it's all I got. Paul, I think, does something really incredible here. We can tell from this passage that he's hurt. We can tell from the passage that this guy that's in the, in the Corinthian church has burned everyone around him. But look what he writes, okay? He doesn't write, okay, kick him out of the church. He doesn't write, make, him, make sure he knows how much damage he's caused. This is what he writes. Verse 6, For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should... Rather, listen, turn to forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. So if I were to ask you, if someone asks your forgiveness, do you go, oh yeah, I'm, so, I'm, I'm great at loving and comforting that person. I don't care what he did anymore. I just want to make sure he's not in pain. Probably not. What, this is probably a radical thought for 2020 America, right? We, you get on social media and it's immediate. You're going to get jumped. and you, If you share, I love the color blue, someone's going to come in and say, you're crazy for blue. Love orange, right? But not, this is not where Paul takes us. When someone repents, as this man in the context has done, it's the Christian job to ignore the idea of forgive and forget but push through that and to forgive and comfort and love because it may push someone to excessive sorrow. And so, I don't know, I'm from, uh, I've already explained the context. I didn't do the hand thing, but I'm right around here, right? From, if you think of Anago, and then you drive 15 uh, minutes away from that, and then you find a dirt road, and you drive 15 minutes down the dirt road, that's where I grew up from. So there wasn't much forgiveness that happened in, in that neck of the woods. It's pretty much put up your dukes and see who's the tougher man, and then you move on, right? So I was processing this. I'm trying to think, where would this work? And I referred to my five-year-old Peter, and I never use them. It's a general rule of mine. Don't you, I don't want to use my kids as a sermon illustration, but they're not here, so it's free game, <laughs> right? So... And he, I don't know if he knows how to work the computer yet, so he can't find the recording. But Peter is this extremely tender child. He's soft. You know, he tells his mom she's a princess every day. And anytime we go into the store, we have to buy flowers and chocolate because it would make mama happy, right? Just, I don't know where he gets this from, okay? But that's, that's who he is. 
And so if you, if he, he's got his little sister and she's a wild girl, okay, and she, he'll come, she'll come over and rip something from his hands or rip a page out of his book, and he'll toss the book and push her down and then immediately he runs to his room out of shame because he knows what he's done. He knows the pain. We've talked about it enough. And so what we have to do is like call him back out, walk him through what he's done. And I know you should probably be thinking like, well, spank the kid. Well, we spank Lily because she's the wild girl, or at least we smack her hand, and it doesn't matter, okay? They're just two different kids. And so we bring Peter out, and we walk him through it. We ask him what would have been better, how we could have handled it better, and then uh, we let him go get his space. And then he'll come out, and he'll apologize, and he's, he's just, I'm very lucky to have him. But what if he does this? He smacks Lily, he pushes her down, and then we come, and I get, hey, you're five, you get five spankings. How could you do this? She's only 19 months old. She's a little girl. You're a boy. What are you thinking? That Peter, in his tenderness, would just be crushed. He'd be moved to excessive sorrow. I think that's what Paul's saying here. That this person who is uh, brought to repentance knows the sin. That's the heart of repentance, right? You've seen your error and you've turned away from it. That this person, this man has seen the place of repentance, and to push him further would, to meet, would push him into excessive sorrow. So as a Christian, as a part of the, the gospel agenda, is to love and comfort them. And so you may say, Chris, you're from Michigan. That's not how things are done around here. You don't know the pain that I'm going through. You don't know the, the person I'm married to. You're right, right? I don't, not yet. But this gospel agenda bleeds into every person's life. There is no, it works one way in Wisconsin and one way in Michigan. So if you are in that place and you're met with someone who's not asking for forgiveness, they're not repentant, and maybe that's where you are in your life and someone's, hurt you and they've not come to you and cried and begged for forgiveness. You say, I can't forgive that person. Flip with me to Matthew 18. I'm going to beat you there. I, I prepared ahead of time. Matthew 18, 21. because I don't, I don't want to miss that. It's a good response. If you are thinking that, feeling that in your heart, it is a good response. What, about, what do I do with the person who uh, isn't seeking repentance? And Pastor Tom says he preaches 40 minutes, so i got to feel somehow right. Read along with me. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. So Peter is saying seven is the number of purity, so I'm just going to forgive him a ton, right? Is that my job? And, and Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And your, your translation may read seven times 70. But what all Jesus is doing is giving you the ultimate pure number. He's saying an unlimited amount. Seven times 77 or 77 times 
Moving on. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him and the debt. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owned him, owed him a hundred denarii, which is far less, right? And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And before, before you start being critical, we're, this, we're that servant, right, who's throwing the man in this picture. We're not, the, we're not the king. We're not the good guy here. We're that guy. He refused and went and put him in prison for his debt. And when his fellow servants saw what, he had taken, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. And here it is. This is what's for us. So if your heart is, heart is hard, soften it for just a moment. God says in this picture, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Okay, here it is. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Do you hear what's happening here? Are you, are you resonating with this? Are you picking up on the theme that's happening? He's saying almost two things. You can say that Jesus is saying, if you don't forgive others with unlimited force, unbridled compassion, you aren't mine. And if we're thinking theologically and, and all the sermons you've heard from this pulpit, if you're thinking of all the Bible studies and men and women's groups and you're putting together theologically, you can also hear that an evidence of your faith is that you forgive. Right? God commands that we forgive each other in a limited amount. And Paul doesn't stop there, right? Again, because this could lead to legalism. You just must do this to get to heaven. He doesn't stop there. He takes us into the core of forgiveness so that any believer, if you're, if you're struggling with this idea, if you're struggling with this in your life, that every believer can get to this point of forgiveness. Okay, so I know you've been waiting for this. Point three. Here it is. Forgiveness in the reality of Christ. Forgiveness in the reality of Christ. Paul gives us a final statement that is important for us to grasp here, and it, it's who Paul roots forgiveness in. Okay, so flip back to the Second Corinthians, or I'll, I'll read it at verse 9. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. I think we understand that part. Verse 10, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I've forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in 
the presence of Christ. Literally, and the commentators, they're saying literally, he's saying that in the presence of Christ means in the face of Christ. In, before Christ's face, I've forgiven you. And that can mean a couple of different things. But I think most importantly, what is uh, important for us to grasp is that who he took forgiveness to. Right? He took the hurt and the pain and he took it straight to Christ. And that is how he can say, whoever you forgive and what you choose to do, I will do it along with you. Even though Paul was really the one that, he was, that was being attacked, he takes it before Christ. So listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 32. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgive, forgave you. So all of this, all of this discussion, everything from how we're sinful, and we're sinful from birth, and we can't escape it except by Christ, and then we talk about how to forgive and that we must, and what do we do for uh, forgiving someone who's not repentant? All of this is tying back into what drives us into the arms of Christ. We are utterly hopeless unless it is Christ that is driving our motivation. I say this because you all know what Jesus has forgiven you for, right? If you think back to the childhood years. This isn't fun. It's not a fun exercise. I've been doing this all week. You think back to the childhood years. And then your young adult life, and maybe you're a young adult now. You think back to your marriage, or you think back to kids, your relationships with your children. There's a lot of terrible things there, isn't there? There's a lot of terrible things there that have been washed away like the cleanest snow. If you think back to uh, that time when you were first saved, that warm feeling the tender feeling. It's beautiful and there's no shame or there's no, no guilt. There's just grace. There's nothing else. This is where we go. This is where Paul takes us. When someone offends us, when we don't know what to do, he drives us back to the reality of Christ, the gospel of what he has done for us, the fact that he came to earth. You think of this. I mean, God of all the universe. We spend all of our time and our resources looking up at the stars, trying to figure out what they're doing, if there's ice crystals on Saturn's moon or something, and he just spoke it into existence. And we can't even see it all. And yet this God came as a man, lived utterly perfect for 30-some years, died a sinner's death, put himself in the place of, of God's wrath so that you could have relationship with God for eternity. That is where Paul drives. And if we aren't going there, if we're not thinking of the way that he saved us, the way he forgave, the way he loved, the way he embraces us and he keeps us for all eternity more, if we're not going there, it's all pointless and worthless. That's why Paul drives right to the gospel. Jesus is where we go Jesus is where we go when someone hurts us. Jesus is where we go when the pain is simply unbearable. Jesus is whom we embrace when the night is long and we can't fall asleep because everything's running through our head. What other comfort is there in our life than the way that Jesus sustains us? 
We sing a song like, he will hold me fast. Because that is the truth of the gospel, the agenda of the gospel, that all of our hope, this is just a sliver, it's a, a topic in all of scripture, but all the slivers put together, that is the agenda of the gospel. He's our only hope. So don't, don't when you're in your pain, don't run to the bottle. Okay, I can just say that because I don't know who struggles with that here, right? I'm the visitor. Don't run to the bottle and drink it away as that's comfort because there's no comfort like Christ, okay? Don't run to a psychologist first because there's no psychologist greater or more wise than Jesus. Don't run to your spouse. Don't run to the gossip partner because there's no more wisdom than Christ in this world. Men in here, okay? I'll speak as a man. Don't run to the bunker and emotionally put the shields up and protect from everyone else and continue to act like the tough guy to keep it together and to criticize everyone else and turn it outward. Christ is our reality. That's why we gather here, isn't it? Jesus is our reality. So that's what I pray for you. That when you encounter pain, because we will, that you would simply utter, Jesus Jesus, Jesus, that you would continue to run to the arms of Christ, that you would first beg for Christ to forgive your sins that are many, and that he would help you forgive those who have hurt you, whether they've repented or not, whether they continue to hurt you or not. Jesus is the greatest. He's the one who will never turn you away. He's going to forgive you seven times 70. You'll never be lost from his embrace. He's the great husband of, our, of the church who will never sin, never forsake you. Uh, would you pray with me? Close. God, you are great. You are so beautiful. The wisdom that you hold is incredible. And yet, everything you've created, all of that is just to point us back to your love and your grace. And a grace that is not going to run dry. It's a well, it's a river that will never stop. Help all of us that are here today continue to run back to that well to stop focusing on those who are hurting us stop focusing on the sins and trying to beat them with some sort of legalism but that we would run to the foot of the cross the place of grace where grace met this earth lord Help us worship the next number of songs with all of our hearts, with all of our voice, that we would not hold back, that we would praise you for what you've done in, our, in forgiving us through the blood of Christ. And I thank you for this church and, of course, this opportunity, Spring Brook. Thank you for the men's breakfast. Thank you for everyone I've encountered and interacted with. This has just been great for me, and I, I thank you for this. And I've pray this in Christ's name. Amen.